here with you this morning. My name is Kurt Miller, and most of you probably know us by now, but my family and I were here for a few months before we go back overseas. We normally are in the Middle East serving, and um, but for this season, we're going to be here with you guys at Vintage and very excited about that. Uh, right now, Steve and Randall are on a sabbatical, and so let's continue to pray for them. Sabbaticals are a good time for rest, but not only that, I know Steve and Randall are specifically seeking for vision for this next season of vintage. And so let's definitely lift them up in prayer this week as you think about it. They'll be there for, they'll be gone for another week or so, but uh, next, they'll be back by next Sunday. So they'll be with us then. We're actually starting a new series this morning that I want to introduce for us. And the series is going to be, is going to be called Seek First the Kingdom. And that's the passage that we're going to be in this morning in Matthew chapter 6. Um, but as you all know, we just finished a series, on the United series, and being united, being a, a people that are one together. And uh, for the next several months, Steve, myself, and April, along with your small group leaders, we're going to be leading us in this series of seeking first the kingdom and what it means to seek first the kingdom. And so we want to encourage you, if you have not connected with a small group, Please do. April's right back here. She can help you if you're looking where to connect. We also have a young adult small group launching today with John and Christina Bohannon right here. They're waving their hands. So if you want to go out to lunch with them and connect with this small group, please go see them and see what the plan is. But these small groups are going to be a time where we will be able to take what we shared on Sunday, the passages that we looked at on Sunday, and go a little bit more in depth and apply them in more practical ways to our lives. So we want to encourage you in whatever way to connect and to join one of these small groups for this next season. So, well, I want us to get started. I'm going to read out of a passage in Matthew 6, verse 25, starting at 25. So you can open up your Bibles if you have them. And I'm going to read this passage. This is this passage gives us the context to seeking first the kingdom. That's where Jesus ends this passage. I'm going to read this and then I want to share a little bit of more general context and then we'll focus specifically on this passage this morning. So let's read this, pray, and then jump in. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you will need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we come before you humbly and we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we ask that you would give us the spirit of revelation this morning as we meditate upon this passage, as we seek to hear your voice and understand your word. 
Lord, would your spirit come into this room and speak about your kingdom, about your value system, about who you are. Lord, we want to know you this morning and encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage, if you're not familiar with it, is taken from a broader sermon that Jesus gave, gave, excuse me, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And that's in chapters uh, six, five, six, and seven of Matthew. And you can also find it in Luke as well, but it's most condensed and, and, and straightforward in Matthew five, six, and seven. And I love the Sermon on the Mount. I, I usually consider the Sermon on the Mount Christianity 101. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, what the followers of Jesus will look like, you go to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to know how to live, you find that in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we also find that Jesus here is intending to communicate to his followers what his value system is, the value system of the kingdom. And he does this, you, you see it right at the beginning in a, in a series of messages called the Beatitudes, right in chapter, chapter 5. We're not going to focus on that this morning, but I want to give it to you as an example. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is giving the Beatitudes in order to convey that the value system of his kingdom is different than the value system of the world. For example, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit heaven. He doesn't say blessed are the rich, for they'll inherit heaven. He says blessed are those who are poor. Normally, if you're going to inherit something, it's because you're rich or you're connected to someone who's rich. But Jesus says, no, in my kingdom, the one who's poor gets a great inheritance of heaven. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He doesn't say blessed is the one who's happy. They will be comforted. He says, blessed are the ones who mourn. Then he goes on to say, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit heaven. Meekness is, I like to consider, I like to define it as the restraint of power. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. He doesn't say blessed are the powerful. Blessed are the kings. Blessed are the rulers, for they'll inherit the earth. No, he says, blessed is the one who is meek, who restrains that power. That person is the one who's going to inherit the earth. He goes on to say, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. Not blessed are you who eat, for you will be filled. Right. In order to be filled, usually it requires eating. But Jesus says, no, if you're hungry, you're going to be filled. He says, blessed are you who are persecuted. Blessed are you who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's not the normal way we think about having a kingdom. Historically, kingdoms, they go to war and they take over lands. They are the ones doing the persecuted, but Jesus, persecuting. But Jesus says, no, in my kingdom, if you are persecuted, you actually inherit my kingdom. You receive my kingdom. So we see right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it's almost like Jesus goes for the jugular and he's saying to his followers, listen, my kingdom is different from the kingdoms of this world. It's called the upside. It's like an upside down kingdom. Every logical way that our natural mind likes to think of a kingdom and of uh, human nature and how we progress and move forward. Jesus is saying it's backwards. You will be strong when you're weak. You will be filled when you're hungry. You will be powerful when you're meek. It's backwards. I have a, one of my favorite preachers. His name's David Slyker. He said this one time. He has this quote. He says, every man wants to be a king and every king wants to be a God. But there's only one God that ever wanted to become a man. And what he's communicating, our human nature leads us to strive with each other 
leads us to strive in life, to, to gain position, to gain power, to gain authority. But the one who is perfectly holy, that one God who actually had all the position, all the title, all the power, all the authority, you know what he did? He actually chose to give that up. This is Philippians 2. To lay all of that down and become the least of all. Being formed in the likeness of man. That's what Jesus did. So Jesus' kingdom, when we look at the kingdom of God, when we see Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we see this description that is completely illogical based on our natural minds. It's backwards, based on the way that we would think of a kingdom. Now, the phrase kingdom of God... It's a, uh, something we've probably heard a lot in church. But there's two aspects of the kingdom of God that we have to understand. You guys with me this morning? Hello? Amen? Yes. Hallelujah. There's two aspects of the kingdom of God that we have to understand. One is a, is a future aspect. And the future aspect of the kingdom of God, when that phrase is used, it could be, that's, that might be how it's used. For example, Paul does this a lot. He's talking about the kingdom of God that is coming after Jesus returns. You can call it the kingdom of heaven. You can call it heaven. You can call it the kingdom of God, whatever. But it's the kingdom of God that exists after Jesus comes back and makes all the wrong things right. That's the future reality of the kingdom of God. That's the thing that Jesus says, or excuse me, Paul says, gives us hope today. Because today, if that kingdom weren't real and if that kingdom weren't coming, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says we're to be pitied more than all men. Because that means Jesus hasn't rose and you won't raise, you won't be resurrected either. But because that kingdom is coming, we have hope. But the second aspect of the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God today. Right? And uh, that's, it's okay if you want to define that as the church, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe it a little bit differently. The kingdom of God today is when that future kingdom, through the power of the Holy Spirit, touches us today. Hebrews 6, verse 5, says that we have tasted of the powers of the age to come. There's an age that's coming where the kingdom of God is fully present. It's real. After Jesus returns, where the presence of God, the glory of God, covers the earth as the water, waters cover the sea. And the author of Hebrews is saying today we have the ability through the, through the Holy Spirit to taste of those powers. Now, those powers can be tasted through the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. Through signs, wonders, through miracles, demonstrations of powers. And those things are incredible. But there's another way that we can taste those powers. The other way that we taste those powers is through the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Which we don't think about a lot. But when we see the fruits of the Holy Spirit displayed in someone's life, that is evidence, that is power that's coming from an age where wickedness does not exist, where evil does not exist. When we see love, joy, peace, patience, righteousness, holiness, goodness, when we see those things manifest in someone's life, that is a, against human nature. Our human nature is to be angry. Our human nature is to be vengeful. Our human nature is to be unforgiving. But when we see the reverse of those things, what we're Seeing and experiencing is the power of God today. I, I shared this earlier, but we have, you know, we live overseas, my family and myself, and there's 
and where we live, we don't see tons of fruit all the time. But there's one girl in particular that we've been discipling for five years or more. And when I think about her and when I pray for her, I'm touched more times than not. And I'm encouraged. We haven't been there for a year and a half now. And so we still see her and communicate, obviously, through FaceTime and whatnot. But when I think about her life, I'm always encouraged because this girl has stuck with it in a place where it's difficult. 0.01% Christians, right? In a place where you don't see many people following Jesus. And in fact, you face a lot of pressure because you follow Jesus. This person has stuck with it. And you know what we've noticed? After five years, the fruits of the Holy Spirit are coming through her life. Now, when we're over there, we also see moments where God breaks in in power. And those are those are also incredible. Seeing healing, seeing people being touched, being healed of cancer, being there. Uh, maybe they have a broken arm and seeing that healed. Those are powerful moments where the kingdom of God is breaking in. But seeing someone whose character changes. Right. They were once going one way towards a path that probably was leading to destruction, that was leading to destruction. But because they followed Jesus, their character is now changing and being conformed to Christ over five years, sticking with it in light of these pressures. That's very moving. That's the power of God. That's the kingdom of God manifest today in this present evil age. Now, I lay these things out because I think these are important terms and concepts to understand Uh, As we and not just that, but the context of the passage that we're looking at this morning in Matthew chapter six. Now, as we read in Matthew six, the focus of this series is on seeking first the kingdom of God. And when Jesus said this, it was in the context of, of saying, do not worry, do not be anxious. Starting at verse 25, he's saying, do not be anxious for anything. But it actually is connected to the verses prior to that in verse 19, where he's saying, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Money, money, material possessions, fear, anxiety are the things that Jesus is addressing here. Money has a way of revealing our heart. Whether you have a lot of money or whether you have a little bit of money, whichever extreme you're on, it reveals your heart. It reveals our hearts, all of us. You have a lot of money. Maybe you're in this place of greed, always wanting more money, wanting to grow that money. You have a little bit of money. Maybe you're in this place of fear, not sure where the next money is going to come from. Money has a way to reveal our hearts, and that's why Jesus is focusing on this issue when he's saying, seek first the kingdom. He says, do not be anxious, or prior to saying, do not be anxious, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Treasures in heaven that are eternal. Because when we have these material possessions on earth, some of these things are necessary, right? Jesus says, do not, do not worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. Right? Those things are necessary, but he's saying not to worry about it. Today we could add to that list, not just eating and drinking and wearing, but maybe a house, right? A car, got to worry about some of these things or think about some of these things. Money, a job, a position, coffee. Okay, I worry about coffee. Coffee's important to me, right? Let's keep that one on the list. Air condition, if you're in a place where that might not be common. Okay, I realize in America that's really common, but centralized heat and air is not common everywhere in the world. Air condition is important. So we have these things and they can lead us 
to being consumed by material possessions. But there's other examples than just these things. Other material things, or maybe a better way to say it is external things that can cause anxiety. For example, politics can cause anxiety. COVID-19 can cause anxiety. What your destiny is or what you're living for, those things can cause anxiety today. Your phones can cause anxiety today with our phones. I mean, 30 years ago, the life was a different place. I was not, I had just been born actually. But as a baby, I had no idea. But 30 years ago, the life was, the world was a different place. Today, you can look at your phone and within seconds, you can have access to news and events from the other side of the world. News and events that not only are from the other side of the world, but could potentially change the world tomorrow. That's the type of anxiety that you have to live with today if you choose to go that route with the news and look at it and overwhelm yourself. Or you turn on the TV and you're hearing about all these things that are happening in this place and that place and the other place, right? 30 years ago or more, definitely more, but at least 30 years ago, you know, the, the worry was whether or not it's gonna, we're going to have enough rain this year to get a good harvest of crops so that our town can be fed. That was the worry. Let me ask you this. How many times have you worried about that? <laughs> How many times have you thought, is there going to be enough rain so where we would have food the rest of this week or next month? For us, usually the question is, How many times have you worried about how many Instagram followers you have? How many times have you worried about your 401k? How many times have you worried about what's happening across the world, about the news? How many times have you worried about how many Instagram likes you had? Right? Those are the worries that consume us today. And in fact, it's so prominent in our generation that it's leading a generation to be crippled by anxiety. I think all of you know the relative uh, clear definition of, of anxiety. Anxiety is this fear of something that could happen tomorrow, but there's nothing substantial telling you that it will. And in fact, more times than not, it does not happen. Probably the majority of the time, that thing that you're fearing does not happen tomorrow. You have a worry, a concern that this, that, or the other could happen and it'll affect your life in this way and that way and that way. And then you go down this bunny, bunny, this rabbit hole and you can't ever get out and you're just crippled and paralyzed by that fear. That's what anxiety does. And Jesus, in this passage, he gives us four reasons to resist anxiety. The first reason is this. He says, are you not more valuable than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. You are more valuable than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Why would you be anxious today, worrying about tomorrow, if, I, if you look at the birds of the air and see that I can take care of them, how much more will I take care of you? I was thinking about this, and you know, a description we use between us as believers and Jesus is, we're his bride, right? Now, if he is the groom, we're his bride, you know, men, you know, they might have a hobby of, uh, I, I noticed this, please don't take any offense to this. I noticed I, I have some retired friends and they, they have bird feeders in their backyard. I don't personally have that, but they have bird feeders in their backyard. It's kind of fun to watch the birds come and go, right? But is that man going to care more about those birds than his wife? No, right? 
right? How much more, Jesus is saying, will I care for you and provide for you if I provide for the birds of the air who are here today and gone tomorrow? There's no guarantee that this bird that's tweeting around, flying around or whatever is going to be able to find the food he needs tomorrow. He can only worry about today. And what happens? The miracle of God is that every day the birds of the air find the food that they need. How much more, Jesus is saying, how much more valuable are you than them? The second reason he gives us to resist anxiety is in verse 27. Which of you by worrying can add one hour to your life? I love this. Which of you by worrying can add one hour to your life? Most of the times when we are anxious is because we are trying to control these circumstances to further progress our life or our job or our wealth or whatever. And Jesus is saying, you cannot add one hour to your life. You cannot elongate your life. I already have your steps planned. In fact, what's ironic about this is that medically, what's been proven is that anxiety actually actually has the power to shorten your life. If you want to die young, be anxious. Not only, Jesus is saying, not only can you not add an hour of your life, but what's been proven in the world today is your life will be short if you are living in anxiety and fear. The third reason Jesus gives us to resist anxiety in verse 31 and 32, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Your heavenly father knows these things. He knows the needs that you have for tomorrow. We worry because we think maybe he doesn't know, maybe he won't provide, maybe these things won't come true. But he, Jesus is telling us here, he already knows all the things that you need tomorrow. And the fourth reason in verse 34, he says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. This is a principle that has been true throughout the entire Bible in the Old Testament Israel, when they were in the wilderness, God decided to provide manna from heaven for them. But you know what? That manna was only good for one day, unfortunately. And they tried to save that manna. And what happened the next day after they tried to save the manna? The manna they saved was bad. Because Jesus, God told them, I will provide for you manna every day. And what's not eaten is going to go to waste, and I'll provide more the next day. The same is true in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is telling us here, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own worries. You know, when I pray a lot of times, I ask God, Lord, can I have enough grace for this week, this month? You know, that's usually not the way he answers those prayers because he wants me to come every single day. I wish he would. And I still ask him sometimes, Lord, please give me enough grace for this whole month. But he says, no, I want you to come every single day and receive your daily bread from me. Receive that grace from me in order to face the worries of that day. Yes, there are worries that we have. There are things that could tempt us to give into that anxiety. So he's saying, resist the anxiety and receive grace from me today, tomorrow, every day. Now, these are four reasons that Jesus says to resist anxiety, but When we return to this passage, he concludes talking about the birds of the air, the flowers of the field and anxiety by saying, seek first the kingdom in all of its righteousness, all of his righteousness. And all these things will follow. 
What is seeking? It actually goes back to verse 19 where Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Instead of worrying about material possessions, instead of being consumed by the things of the world, instead of being consumed by the news, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. There was actually a study done that I want to share these statistics with you. It's very interesting. And this, I think, was just uh, within the last two years. This was a study by the Center for Bible Engagement. And this study took 40,000 people ages 8 to 80. Okay, 40,000 people ages 8 to 80. And their goal was to measure between this study how much are people reading and engaging with their Bibles. So they took a survey, how many would read their Bibles once a week, how many would read their Bibles twice a week, how many would read their Bibles three times a week and four times a week, and so on. And what they found is the people who did this survey who would read their Bible once a week, which is probably going to church, the results of the way that affected their life were negligible, right? If, fire alarm. If you're looking at a chart, right, you don't see any movement in that. The results of the people who read their Bible twice a day was also negligible, right? So it's still just flat, right? The th- at three times a day, there was a little bit of a bump. So three times a day, someone who's reading their Bible, they go to church Sunday, maybe they read their Bible a few times after that, a couple days a week, right? There's a little bump. But then what happened is four times a day, those who read their Bible four times a day, there was a spike in the graph. So it wasn't even a gradual progression. It was from one, two, little bump at three, and then four. It spiked off the charts. And what they found was that of those who engaged with God, and the Bible, and prayer, more than four times a week, anger issues dropped 30%. Bitterness in relationships or relational tensions dropped 45%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. A lot of times we can be consumed by condemnation. All of us, that's our human nature. That spiritually stagnant feeling that so tempts us dropped 60%. Porn use dropped 61%. And then on the flip side of all these things, sharing the gospel increased 200%. Discipleship increased 230%. And this, what I love about this study is that it's, it's expressing to us, what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? And when you do that, what happens is these worldly temptations, these worldly desires, they actually decrease in your life. You engage with God every day. You seek that manna every day. You will notice a difference in your anger. You will notice a difference in your anxiety you will notice a difference in all these other things that tempt us every single day. How do we seek? If we're called to seek first the kingdom of God, how do we seek? We pray. We ask him for help. We ask him to come and to give us the grace today to embrace the value system of the kingdom. We act. We pray and then we act. We take what we see in the Sermon on the Mount and we apply it our lives, not in a legalistic way. We don't apply it in a legalistic way. We apply it in our lives because we have seen Jesus in such a way that we want to be conformed to his image. And finally, we bear fruit. We bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control.
when we choose to embrace the value system of the kingdom of God, to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, to not be anxious, to not give in to the desire for material things, to not give in to the news, right? Then what we find is the fruits of the Spirit are actually revealed in our lives. That the people around us, they start to see love, they start to see joy, they start to see peace, patience, kindness, self-control, faithfulness, gentleness, Now, when I was praying for this morning, I was asking the Lord different things. And and I was thinking about the last two years. And last year was hard for everyone. This year's probably been hard, too. COVID came out of nowhere and I think surprised us a lot. And as I was praying, I feel like last year was almost the language I felt like the Lord was speaking to me was it was like it was round one. And. When I look at last year, just speaking of myself, I feel like I didn't do, I didn't respond to God very well. You know, when COVID came out, we had just come back from, came back from overseas. In fact, we landed March 10th, the day before, I think, the national emergency. We had, we had just come back from overseas and we're hearing all this news. And to be honest, I was pretty glued to the news as well trying to understand what's going on. And then I started to feel this fear. And then I started to feel this anxiety. And then a few of my friends, we got together. And one of my buddies, we were talking about this. And he said, let's not waste our pandemic. Because at that time, it was easy to be filled with fear, to be filled with anxiety. And I'm looking at, and to be honest, I don't know if across the body of Christ, I don't know if we responded very well. And I think the Lord, the Lord's obviously gracious, but I, don't, I think most of us were filled with that same kind of fear. And I feel like right now we have a round two. COVID's happening again, you know, in, in an increased way. And I feel like we can sense those temptations to feel fear, to feel anxiety. But I feel the question I heard the Lord asking me when I was praying for this, how are we going to respond now? Right? We went through this once. We're going through it again. How are we going to respond? What choices are we going to make in responding to God during this time? You know, Sarah shared about 9-11 20 years ago. And I, I took some time and was meditating and, and just praying and thinking of what happened 20 years ago. And when... That happened. Uh, one of the preachers I was listening to yesterday said that right after 9-11 happened, the Sunday after was the highest church spike in America that America had seen. Right after it happened, churches were packed the Sunday. Because the world, were, they were looking for answers. People were looking for answers. And unfortunately... I don't know at that time the church had a lot of answers. Because I think at that time, most believers felt that same kind of fear. You know, fear of terrorism. Fear of what might happen. Very legitimate. I'm not denying its legitimacy. I mean, that's a very natural feeling. But we had the world rushing to our doors and we didn't have very clear answers for them. And I'm thinking of today. Now, it's a little bit different of a situation 
the church is not, or the world is not rushing to our doors, obviously, like they were then. But I'm thinking of today, and I'm thinking, when they do, I want to have the answers for them. They're not rushing to our doors right now, but you know what they are? They are covered in fear and anxiety about COVID-19. Understandably so. And what should be the case is that us as believers, we should have the answers for the world. We should be able to help speak into them to show them there's not a reason to be afraid and there's not a reason to be anxious. Now, why is there not a reason to be anxious? Why is there not a reason to be afraid? The reason is not because the virus isn't real. The reason is not because the vaccine is manufactured. Those are not reasons to not be afraid. That's a double negative. I'm sorry. Those, the reason that we have today to not be afraid of what's happening in the world is the same reason that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said, talking about the resurrection of Christ, he said, death, you have no sting. Grave, where is your victory? And where I'm concerned is that most of the conversations in the church, I'm not talking about vintage specifically, I'm talking about the church as a, in, the, in the nation. Most of our concerns are about a virus. Most of our conversations are about a vaccine. And let me just say this. If you're trying to answer your fear of whatever that fear is by saying the vaccine is manufactured, what you're doing is you are putting a temporal answer on your fear. You're trying to answer something that cannot be answered. When there is an eternal answer, and it is called the kingdom of God, that can satisfy you. And that answer is, death, you have no sting. Grave, where is your victory? Yes, a virus is real. There is a vaccine. There's all these things that people are talking about. Those should not be the central focus of our conversation. You can have opinions, of course. But the way that the church over the last two years, the way we have staken our ground and chosen sides is wrong. I'm just going to say it. It's wrong. And the reason I can tell you that is because I don't see the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, righteousness, patience, self-control. How many people have lost self-control? We need to embrace the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not manufacturing answers for our fear. This virus is fake. You don't know that. I don't know that. And you know what? It doesn't matter why. Because death, you have lost your sting. Grave, where's your victory? That's why it doesn't matter. It does not matter to us. We have authority and we have confidence in a kingdom that is not in this world. If you want to try and make up worldly answers, you will be more like the world than like the kingdom of God. But we are called to be ambassadors. We are called to be ambassadors. That's what Paul says. We are ambassadors. This is not our home. We are representing another home. And that home is more real. It's more tangible than we know right now. But it is coming, crashing in upon you. And Jesus wants the world to see him. He wants the world to know him. 
So this morning, as we go into this time of ministry, I want to invite our ministry teams up here, and I want us to pray. Anxiety is very real. And some of you may be feeling that anxiety. I don't want to say that you just move on from it. No, anxiety is real. And I think it requires us to pray and engage with God. It's not something you just mentally overcome. You pray and you engage with God, and then you seek the kingdom. And we want to pray for you if you are feeling that, if you have felt anxiety, if you have felt fear. Those are legitimate. And it's something that we should take time to pray for. And then I also just sense, let's ask the Lord what we're supposed to do in this season as believers. Be frank, I don't have answers in terms of what's going on. But what does that mean? And what answers do we give to the world? I think that's the question that we have to ask. What are we showing the world? And so when we enter into this ministry time, I want us to ask ourselves that and ask the Lord to speak to us about that. And maybe even speak how, Lord, how can I show? your kingdom more? Or how can I seek first your kingdom more than all these things? So I'll pray for us and then we're going to enter into this time.